Good morning, High Point. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 10, the entire chapter. This is on page 391 of the Pew Bible. Um, a little context is that Saul was looking for some donkeys, couldn't find them, and went to Samuel, and they ate some food, um, and now he's about to be anointed. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you, ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah, on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor, Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which, we, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, is Saul among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord of the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all of your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. How are you all? What a privilege to come to the house of God and worship the true and the living God. 
My name is Manohar James, and I'm currently serving as a resident scholar at High Point Church. My family and I moved from Kentucky last year after I completed my theological education at Asbury. <clears throat> when we were considering to move to uh, Midwest, uh, some of our friends came to us and told, Manohar, you're trying to move to Wisconsin. It's going to be too cold to you. Well, after coming here, we did not feel that way because people are very warm here. And uh, uh, God has made a good balance in the Midwest uh, with the cold weather and warm people. And thank you so much for your love, generosity, and the way you have embraced us and welcomed us into the family of High Point. Well, after coming to High Point, uh, I have adopted many new things, including drinking coffee in the sanctuary <laughs> and wearing blue jeans at the age of 43. <laughs> well, uh, we have been uh, studying the book of uh, Samuel, learning from the history of how God was dealing with his people in their struggle against their identity and in their struggle against their enemies. And also we see how God was patient with them in their disbelief. Well, last week we looked at chapter 8 where we learned that the elders of Israel came together and had a conference with prophet Samuel and requested him in verse 6, give us a king to lead us. And the following sentence tells us that it displeased Samuel. Then I was wondering why Samuel was upset when they asked for a king. That verse clearly tells that they asked, give us a king to lead. So I went to Hebrew Bible to find out what is the root word for lead. And the root word in Hebrew for lead is shafat. Shafat primarily means to judge. And you know that Samuel had been a judge of Israel. He was a national leader. So when he heard that they wanted a judge, when there was already a judge, he was hurt. Immediately, God comes to his rescue and tells Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. And he further explains that in verse 8, saying, since the day I have brought them out of Egypt, they have forsaken me. And they have served other gods. They have turned to other gods. Now they are doing it to you. That's okay. Just go and give them the king they wanted. And fast forward into chapter 9. Where is my clicker? Is it here? Into chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 16. God tells Samuel... I have looked on my people Israel, for their cry has reached me. Look at this verse and think about God's heart. And here are the people who are trying to forget the covenant that God had made between them and God himself. And then God remembers the covenant and he keeps it and he's faithful to that. And he calls them, my people, I have heard them. When they were not faithful to God, he was trying to be faithful to them. When they were serving other gods, he was trying to answer their prayer needs. And they were not mindful of God, but God was still mindful of them. What a compassionate God we have. How many times we have astrayed from God. But still God is mindful of us. Don't you think so? Well, in chapters 9 through 11, we see how God chooses Saul as the first king of Israel and fully equips him to carry out his purposes. Some of us think that Saul is not a good example for us because we think he had quickly failed. And we think that God has quickly rejected him. 
but the events of Saul's rejection of God, rejection of God, or God's rejection of Saul, and Saul's first disobedience that we see in chapter 13 had most probably happened after 13 or 14 years of Saul's rule. It did not happen quickly. That means Saul was a successful king for about 13 or 14 years. When Saul was made king, David was not even born. So God did not choose Saul to fail. God chose him to succeed so that he could accomplish the very purpose that God had in his life. That is to deliver the Israelites from the hands of Philistines. So this morning, uh, um, from the examples of God's selection of Saul, we're going to look at how God chooses, changes, and uses for his purpose. How God chooses, changes, and uses. I have titled my sermon, If God Chooses, He Uses. So the lessons we're going to learn today from chapters 9 through 11 are, first, God chooses based on grace. That comes from chapter 9. And second, God changes those he chooses. Comes from chapter 10. Third, God uses those he changes. Comes from chapter 11. So let's look at each one of them. From chapter 9, we learn that God chooses people based on his grace, not because of their abilities, not because of their capacity. It doesn't mean that God does not use the brightest, the smartest, and the talented ones. But we see a pattern of God choosing people throughout the history that he tends always to choose the simple, the insignificant, and the fearful, and the foolish for his purpose. That is the pattern that we see throughout the scriptures when he chose leaders. Most of the people that God chose had enough excuses to avoid the call. So if you think you are not smart, be encouraged. That is the person God is looking for. Now let's look at what kind of man Saul was whom God chose to be the first king of Israel. All that we were told about Saul in chapter 9 was that he was a tall and handsome young man. We can easily relate him to Madison because most of the people here are tall. And also, another detail is given that he was the son of an influential man named Kish. Before we think that Saul fits the kingship mold because of his height and his uh, handsomeness, before we get too impressed by these outward looks, the author reveals the other interesting details about Saul. So we're going to look at them in chapter 9, verse 3 to 5. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. Nobody stole them. They ran away. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Salisha, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. What do you see here repeatedly? They did not, they did not, they did not. And verse 5, it tells, when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come. Let's go back. Here we see that Saul was on his father's mission looking for the donkeys, looking for the lost animals. They covered a lot of ground. They went from, you know, Gibeah all the way to Salisha, and uh, they came to the district of Zuf, and they were tired three days. The food ran out 
almost money was gone. And Saul tells to her servant, let's go back. What does that indicate to us? He was an unsuccessful man. That is one of the qualities that God was looking for. On the other side, I was thinking about why donkeys were not found in three days' time. And I was thinking about the divine plan that God had for Saul. It was God who released these donkeys. So he was hiding them somewhere so that these donkeys will lead Saul to the purpose of God that God has destined for him. Now if we read further into verse 16, we read that the servant replied, look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us which way to go. So now it looks like servant is better prepared and servant seems to be like looking for a solution than Saul himself. What has come to my mind when I read this is that servant knows the significance of the place that they have reached and Saul did not know about it. And servant tells him, look, here is man of God in this town. And even he tells that he's an honorable man. Whatever he tells will come true and let's go and find with him. Think about someone comes to you as an American comes to you like me comes and asks who is the president of the United States of America and you say, oh, I think it is Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> so that is how it is. Saul was not even aware of Samuel who is living in the place where they reached. I don't know whether he was a godly or not, but he was kind of not a street smart. He was an ignorant man. Because Samuel was known all over the nation of Israel. That's what we read in chapter 3 verse 20. He traveled all the way from Ramah to Bethel to Bethel to Gilgal, Gilgal to Mizpah and other places to judge and to instruct people. So almost everyone in that whole nation of Israel know about Samuel that he is the prophet and man of God but Saul seems to have no knowledge of him. That means Saul was an ignorant man. So that is what God is looking for to make a king out of him. Verse 17, we learn that when Samuel, when Saul came to Samuel to inquire about the donkeys, God tells to Samuel, this is the man I spoke to you about. Who, this ignorant man who does not even know about the prophet of God. And God tells, he will rule my people even before Saul tells his problem and Samuel tells back to Saul that he was looking for donkeys, but the donkeys have been found. You see the relation here. Donkeys have been found and Saul has been found one at the same time. What is the relation between donkeys and the king? You know, in the olden days, when uh, kings wants to go to war against the other kingdoms, they always went on horses. But when they went to make peace with other kings, they always went on a donkey. You know that? So donkeys have importance in the king's court. So God makes a relationship here uh, to that and Samuel tells to Saul, the donkeys have been found, now I have a news for you that God has chosen you. And now what he replies in chapter 9 verse 21 is that, 
I am from the smallest of all tribes of Israel. That is what he is he's confessing before Samuel. And my family is the least of all the families of Benjamin. How can you say that to me? Why do you say that to me? Because I am not fit for that choice that God has made. That means he was an insignificant man by not others' definition, by himself. He, understand, he, he understands his own um, image. Now let's get into chapter 10 where we find that Saul was not only chosen by the Lord through Samuel, but Saul was chosen by the lots casted. And now when they're drawn various names, Saul's name has come up. And we read in the text that he was nowhere to be found. They were looking for him and the Lord tells, he is hiding in the baggage. And they, will, they, they go and bring him and present before. And at the end, people tell him, how can this fellow will save us? Such a timid fellow hiding in the parcels. How can this fellow save us? That means he was a nice looking coward. <laughs> I'm not using tall because many people are tall here. So all these details inform us that God had chosen Saul purely by his grace, not by his abilities. This reminds us that God's peculiar way of choosing people depend not upon someone's talent, but depends upon his grace. Not depends upon our appearance, not because our brilliant mind, not because of our cultural heritage. It doesn't matter to him whether we are tall or short, whether we are thin or extra large, whether we are educated or uneducated, whether we are black or white, whether we are Asian or Australian. It doesn't matter to him. It is all in his grace. He chases us and he chooses us for his task. In 1st Corinthians chapter 127, Paul tells, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Why does he do that? Because he wants the glory lest we will boast about ourselves. So he is looking for people like us. So God is not afraid of choosing people who look foolish, think foolish or act foolish. How many of you think really smart here? How many of you think you can really win a Jeopardy? TV show Jeopardy? It's not that uh, I'm trying to, you know, put you on spot. None of us have that image that we are really capable, right? That is the people God is looking for. That is the encouragement to us this morning. So now, the second lesson comes from chapter 10, that God changes those he chooses. So when God calls people for a purpose, he knows how to mold us to fit into that calling. So we don't have to worry about the logistics. How are we going to execute the plan of God in our lives because he has called me? But God has covered it all. We have already seen what kind of man Saul was, but God put him into that area where he could change him first before he uses him. Now when we come to chapter 10 verse 6, we see that Saul's anointing was followed by a promise. Look at this. This is what Samuel said to Saul. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Look at that, that is so beautiful, I love this verse. You will be changed into a different person. You will be transformed. When? When the Spirit of God comes upon you. That is what even Jesus promised to his disciples who were scared to death because of you know, his uh, arrest and all that. 
and he tells when uh, he gave great commission to them you go and wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are going to receive the power to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the utter parts of the world. Now look at uh, um, verse 9. As Samuel turned to leave, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. I'm like, just he was leaving Samuel, quickly God changed his heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. Now look at it again second time. You see that. And he joined in their prophesying. Look at verse 11, very interesting. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that, this that has happened to the son of Kish? What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now look at the identity change. So far he was identified as the son of a Kish, right? And all of a sudden when God changed his heart and people began to see a new person in Saul. So that means God's election entails a personal transformation. So if you are in the process of God's choosing or election and through his grace, and he knows that he is going to transform us according to his plan and his will. So the personal transformation includes a change of heart that can receive God's spirit and a reflection of changed identity. identity. And further, uh, in verse 7, we see that Samuel told to Saul, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now you see, God's election entails the promise of the presence of God. That is what Jesus told to his disciples. When I send you, I'm not going to send you empty. I'll be with you. Think about when God called Moses. He said, my presence will go with you. Nowhere we see God just empowered and left. God was always with them and trying to watch over them. That is what it happens when God selects us. We always have the promise of the presence of God. So if God chooses, he changes. If we are sensing God's call in our lives today, why do we worry about the logistics of how we are going to accomplish it? He has already worked out all the details and then why not we process? And why, not, why not we go and march towards that goal that God has set before us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, we see the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls us is what? Faithful. He will do it. So the third lesson we learn from the process of God's selection of Saul is God uses... those he changes. This lesson comes from chapter 11. God uses those he changes. The primary reason that Israelites requested Samuel for a king was that the king might go and fight their battles. Now here we see that the king is so timid and he never, I, I don't, we don't see anywhere that he got angry. And even when they blamed him, how can this fellow save us? When they passed comments right before him, he, he kept silence. He didn't even get angry. But now, in chapter 11, we have the story of how God changed his whole attitude to accomplish the purpose. And chapter 11 unfolds the story of how God used for a purpose. Now one day, as Samuel was returning from the field behind his oxen, 
he hears the cry of people weeping. Somebody informs Saul that Jabez Gilead was encroached by Ammonite king named Nahash. And Nahash was threatening all those Israelites living in Jabez Gilead that he's going to gouge out the right eye of every Israelite in that region to bring disgrace on Israel. Look at how evil people Ammonites were. And now they were so scared to death. So they, they tell to the king, hey, we will live in subjection to you, but give us seven days to decide. So they were looking uh, for the unity among all the Israelites living in different regions and asking, can you come and save us because the king is attacking us? And then there was a cry and weeping all over the nation of Israel. And then Saul hears it. And he asks, what is that? Why is everyone crying? And someone tells him, hey, here is what Nahas told to people in Jabez Gilead. He wants to gouge out the right eye of every Israel living there. And he wants to bring disgrace over God's people. And now look at uh, uh, verse 6 and 7. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. You see repeatedly this, the Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God. That is what happens when you are chosen by God. It is not your ability. You're not just being transformed as a superman. But the promise of the Spirit of God will be with you. That is where your power is exhibited. That is where we see even Samson. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he used to even shake anything that is powerful, that you know, cannot be moved by human hands. Now, when Saul heard these words, the challenge that Nahas placed before these people, the Spirit of the Lord came so powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. We see anger here. It is not uh, foolish anger, it may be righteous anger. He wants to save uh, the people of Israel. That was his call. Verse seven, he took a pair of oxen, perhaps the oxen that were before him, and cut them into pieces and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the Bible says, the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. You see, there was a lot of disunity in God's people. That is why Satan is taking over. Why today we are so much divided? Because we are kind of going after Satan. That's why you know, he wants to divide and rule and then we are still doing that. So now God gives wisdom to Saul and he thinks, oh, first in order to go and fight, we need unity. So he calls these people by cutting these auctions into pieces and sending them, hey, if you guys don't come in unity, we are not going to achieve this victory. And you know, the Bible says, this timid man chosen by God was able to unite 330,000 people in no time. Who? A timid guy chosen by God. That means God gave soul courage first to unite people who questioned his candidacy for kingship. Saul also boldly assured the Israelites in Jabez Gilead that go in peace. You're going to be rescued as early as tomorrow. Look at his courage now, <laughs> the timid guy, even challenging, go, you know, just go, it'll happen. Then God gives him a strategy to unite and divide people into groups so that they can go and strategically attack their enemy. And finally, God gives soul strength to fight. We see it in chapter 11, verse 11. Bible tells that Saul and his men slaughtered Ammonites until the heat of the day. The people who wants to gouge out the right eye of the Israelites lost their lives because God anointed Saul to be the king who could deliver his people. 
Friends, God called Saul, Saul for a purpose and, and he achieved it. If we go to chapter 14 of the first Samuel, verse 47, it says, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side. That is what the purpose he was chosen for. Against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he went, he routed them. What a powerful verse. He did valiantly and struck down the Amalekites and rescued Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Was he a successful man? Yes, in the purpose God has called him. And of course, in the later part of his life, he fell from God's grace. But as long as he was in the, God, in the grace of God, he was powerful. So let us remind ourselves again that God chooses based on his grace. And God changes those he chooses. If God calls us, he transforms our lives, our temperaments, and our actions as he did with Saul. And God uses those he changes. He calls us not to fail. He calls us to victory. He calls us that we may succeed in our calling. I want to end my message with a small illustration. I heard a story of a young man who felt called to reach out to the cannibal communities in the forest regions of Pacific Islands. He knew that anybody who went there to preach the gospel had never returned with life because the cannibals sacrificed every one of them and ate them up. His parents, his relatives and friends discouraged him from going there. But this young man was so sure of his calling and he was desperate to go and preach the gospel to these tribal regions where he could even put his life to risk like others have done. One day he packs up his suitcase and he hits the road. But halfway through, the life takes a turn and a huge truck hits him and he didn't know what happened. When he opened his eyes, he was in hospital, not in jungle, where he wanted to go. And the doctor breaks the news to him that his right leg was badly crushed under the tires of a heavy truck and has been amputated. This young man screams, Doctor, I have a purpose, I have a calling in my life. Without one, one leg, I cannot achieve that call. I need to walk a lot to accomplish that task. I need to go into the forest. Why did God do this to me? I know he has called me for this purpose. I'm very sure about it. But now, I see that I lost my leg. How can I achieve this? So he was so discouraged. And then the doctor, who seems to be a Christian, told him that the accident may be a sign that God does not want him to go there. Don't we say that most of the times? So we do that, right? Oh, yeah, those things. Maybe that's a sign of God. That you are in a ministry. You are not preaching well. But maybe that's a sign of God that God is calling you not to be a preacher. I'm so quick, you know, so suggestion, like, I have seen that in this part of the world, <laughs> when we go on to, yeah, you know what, you, you better see a counselor, he will tell you all these things, instead of saying, go to a man of God, he will pray. That's what we do in our country, when we have problem, the first thing comes to our mind is, pastor, let's go and seek the will of God. Where are we in our faith? And now, here doctor suggests this young man that, this is a sign that God doesn't want him to go there. A few months gone by, he was given a prosthetic leg. And he exercised and he wants to somehow practice walking so that he can, 
hit the road again and reach these tribal regions and walk through the jungles and preach to these cannibals. He was just dreaming about it. Well, the time has come and he was confident to walk, so again, he packed up his suitcase and he hit the road. And he safely reached the forest and he walked all night to reach the communities and he went there in the early morning and he sat down on a rock and waited for someone to show up so that he could passionately preach the gospel. After a few minutes, he was surrounded by tribal men with spears and daggers and they were coming like, like coming in a procession thinking that God has provided them a great meal for the day because they thought this young man makes a very decent meal for everybody. Maybe he was tall too. <laughs> but this man was so discouraged that these people are not even giving him chance to talk. They just surrounded him and making all sorts of celebratory noises because they could eat that meal that day and look for another man to come. Well, this man thought he's going to die and, and his mind what, tells, echoes, I, I, I must have made a wrong choice. Doctor was right in the hospital. I, I better I would have heard him. You know, I would have obeyed him. And he thinks, oh, my parents were right. Now my life is going to end without even sharing the gospel. So he kneels down, closes his eyes as tight as possible, and began to pray, God, I want an opportunity to share gospel with these people. I don't care if you take away my life. I'm willing. I'm willing for that, but I cannot let this opportunity go. Would you use me? I don't know what you will do. I know you have called me. I know you are taking me through the process. Would you please give me the opportunity? Well, as it was a customary for these tribal people to let the chief go and taste the first blood before others munch on him, and the chief comes first and kneels at his right leg and he takes the first bite because he has to taste the blood. And he was wondering why this young man was not screaming when he bites that leg. And then he tries second time, he changes location, tries second time and he feels like he has bitten a stone. And he tries third time. And immediately, he, he gets fear in his heart. Oh, this is not a human being. I cannot even bite him. This is God. This is God. He tells everybody, hey, this is not like any other people that we have seen before. This is not eatable. This is God. And he signals them to kneel down. And there was a dead silence all of a sudden. This young man has no idea what was going on. Why is it so silent? He was wondering. So he opens his eyes slowly and looks what's going on around him and he sees everybody kneeling right in front of him, worshiping him. And this young man gets up and tells, hey, I'm not God, but I'm a messenger of God. I came to bring that truth to you. And he preaches the gospel to that men and the whole tribal community comes to the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? Well, for the young man, the accident, waiting period, and the prosthetic leg might have initially seemed hindrances, right? But they were part and parcel of God's call for this man to be used to change the tribal community for his glory.
if you are going through some tough times now and thinking that there is no way that you could reach particular goal, that means that is the process that God has destined for you so that you can give glory to him. You have no idea how much pain my wife and I went through when we did not have children for 10 years. In India, not to have a child is a great curse. And you can't really walk in the society lifting your heads high because they think uh, this wife is a cursed person. She cannot conceive. And this guy is like cursed guy. If God does not hear his prayer, how he can pray for our needs. So our ministry also goes down. So we went through that pain and agony in life. We didn't know until we came to the U.S. In 2013, God gave us a wonderful boy named Jason. And now we look back and see, wow, what a sweet journey that was. God has a plan. If you're going through tough times today, if you're going through struggles, sometimes financial puzzles, and they're all in the package of God's call so that you will turn back to him and wait on him so that he will take glory in the provision that he will miraculously make for you. Think about the way Jesus chose his disciples. Not too many of them were wise and smart, but Jesus said to them in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and have appointed you so that you will go and bear fruit, fruit that will last not the fruit that will decay. Think about that. So if we are called and we are sure about it, where is the passion? In 1800s and 1900s, so many missionaries from this country came to our country. They gave their bodies to be burned so that gospel could advance today this is the country where you can't even see people who are faithful to the calling they received from god where is that passion until 1980 the central gravity of christianity was in the west today the majority of christians are in latin america asia and africa why god is moving from this area where is our passion why are we moving away from the call that god has given us where is our revival where is our fire in our hearts that god has put us to be light and salt before others before other nations why are we silent because we are not sure that God chooses by grace and we are not sure that God changes those he chooses. We are not sure because God uses those he changes because we just think this is the way it works and we just follow the trail. Some of us think calling means you have to be a preacher or a pastor. Calling means you have to be an evangelist. Calling means you have to be a missionary. No. Each one of us are called. If we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us each one of us are called to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So once we were in darkness, do you know that? Once we were slipping into that darkness, and here comes God in an incarnated Jesus and rescued us, adopted us into his family and tells us you are my children. And now that testimony need to be told. If God used Moses who was slow of speech, if God used fearful Gideon, if God used coward soul, if God used doubting Thomas who went to India who was martyred, before getting martyred, he converted about 17,000 souls from four different castes. If God could use doubting Thomas, if God can use unschooled Peter to preach and bring 3,000 people in one day, he will surely use you and me. He will use, there is no doubt. I was a missionary into up north. And I know 
I was very skinny those times and somebody told me, hey, they're all mountain areas. If you go there, sometimes your bones may fall down. I was that skinny. You know, I said, if one of my bones falls when I'm walking up the hills and the mountains, and I told that man, I'm not going to pick up the bone. I will still go. That is the calling I have. And on the way, my suitcase was stolen. On the way, my money was stolen. I had nothing, but the Lord was telling me, you go, I have a provision for you. Don't worry about it. And when I reached there, that was a, uh, a place where it is too cold. And I, I had the thinnest blanket because I was born in the hottest place. I, I didn't know that you need to have a you know, good mattress kind of things to you know, uh, make yourself comfortable and sleep during night. You know, that night, the first night, nobody ever knew that I'm living there. God gives a vision to a man of God in the town, showing him me crawling on the floor. And God tells to him, go and throw the blanket on him. Here is my servant. I'm not telling a story, it really happened. And he walks one and a half miles, all the way from his home, not even telling to his wife, because he was afraid that his wife might change his mind. He wants to be obedient to God. And it was raining under the blanket. He come, uh, under the umbrella, he comes and brings the blanket. He knocks my door, and I thought, here are anti-Christian Hindus coming to kill me. I was not willing to open the door. But when I opened the door, and here is a tall man throwing blanket inside, telling, this is for you. I said, come on inside. He said, no, 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 I will come tomorrow. My wife even didn't know that I came. Tomorrow I'll come and tell you the story. That's how I know that God spoke to him. When God spoke to me in library that previous year, I was obedient. When God said, go to Himachal, I said, yes, Lord, I will. And I had all sorts of temptations. I could be gone as a Bible school principal or dean of a Bible school that time. But I rejected all of that for the call of God. If God is calling you today, why do you hide? If God is calling you today, why do you make lame excuses that you are not fit for that? If God is calling you today, why are you concerned about your weaknesses? Why? If God is calling you today, why are you afraid of failures? Why are you afraid of your abilities? that they are not sufficient. He had covered it all in that gracious call. He covered it all in that gracious call. I want the worship team to come up to lead us in the worship and I want us to reflect on what God has spoken to us this morning. If God chooses by His grace and He will surely he will surely change us. If he changes, he will surely use us. How many of you wanted to rededicate yourself to the Lord? I really want it. I'm not forcing you. I want to see how many of you wanted to rededicate. I want you to stand up and come front. I want to pray for you. Don't be afraid. You just come as they're singing. Just come and reflect and I'll be praying for you, all right?